Am I dizzy, or do we have another guest? Hey there. This, this song's in my head. Welcome back for another episode of Songs in My Head, a podcast for music nerds by music nerds. Uh, as always, I am joined by my lovely co-host, Kristen. Hello. And we are also joined by a special guest today. Why don't you introduce yourself? Hey, my name's Mike. I play guitar in the band Old Neon here in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. Yeah. Another, another good friend, good friend of the show local local band guy uh he played a played at a festival yesterday yeah yeah uh, millville music festival was this weekend uh i played yesterday twice uh with old neon my band and i played with my friend surefire a little bit earlier in the day that's awesome but uh, yeah it's it's such such a cool event because it's i mean millville is a little borough right outside of the city of pittsburgh and you have stages in every little bar, in the library, in the community center. There's a couple of actual venues there. And you just walk down the street and there's like some amazing jazz musicians. And then there's an extreme metal band. And then there is like a hip hop crew over here. And it's just like, there are so many cool things that you see everywhere. You might just stumble into something by accident. like. Kind of, you know, when we would go to Warp Tour when we were younger, and you would just be walking past some tent, like, "What the heck is this?" Right, <laughs> and and um, you know, you'd find something that you you loved, and and then too, it's another good way if if you've heard of a band or you've heard of a, a singer or something, but you haven't gone out of your way to see them. Oh, okay, well, yeah, I have nothing to do from three thirty to five, so yeah, I'll go see what they're about, right. and then it's like, oh, this is cool. So it, it's just. It's a lot of fun. It's a really unique thing. It's all local bands, um, and and they do try to pay everybody, you know. So like they have sponsors and stuff uh, to help kind of offset some of the costs. But um, yeah, I forget how many stages there were. I, f- I feel like it's like twenty, oh, and and hundreds wow. of of different musical acts over Friday night and and all day Saturday. So, and and it's an awesome chance too to get to see a lot of our friends. I mean, we're busy often on the weekends right and so we, right. we don't get a lot of chances to go out and see kind of our peers and some of our friends in town so that's sure. that's one of the things that's really cool about it but yeah it was a very rainy day but uh i don't know we got a little bit of luck at, at six o'clock and, and we had a little bit of sunlight even too so it's still a mud pit where we played but uh kind of had some woodstock we'll, we'll go with 94 <laughs> vibes we'll go with you know Billy Joe with the mud in his mouth and not the the not 99 the vibes. The... Yeah, <laughs> not, not, not quite not, to the fire. Not the arson one, no. <laughs> That's we just talked about that uh, a couple weeks ago when we did a, a mini, and uh, it's just so funny that you that you mentioned that because now I'm picturing like all these like Yinzers, oh man, just just stomping around down in Millville. Yeah. Well, that sounds like a good time. I'm glad that it that it went well for you guys. We're gonna have to make sure we make it next year. Yeah, definitely. Because we talked about it, we just had way too much going on. Yeah, it was it was too busy. So, why don't you give us like a like a quick history of Old Neon? So Old Neon has really been a band just since the very end of 2021. 
Um, not to take away from some of the other guys, the other guitar players, Sean really started the band as an outlet for his songwriting. Mm -hmm. And uh, he is somebody that I kind of tangentially knew. I knew of him and his bands when we were a bit younger. Um, and he had kind of gotten out of playing kind of our genre, pop punk. I just call it warp Tour music, screamo, emo, metalcore. I just, I call it warp Tour music. Um, and he was doing folk stuff, but he, uh, had started hearing some of the 2010s kind of Midwest emo bands and things like that. And was like, okay, this is much more like what I grew up with. And during the pandemic, I think that's what he really kind of thought is I want to play that again, the music that kind of inspired me to play music when I was a teenager. And, um, so he, he had started to put the band together, okay. but we really, the five of us played our first show in December of 2021. And, um, uh, we've just been having a lot of fun with it. We've gotten, uh, I think a little bit better and we've gotten better at kind of how, how we approach the songwriting and the recording and, and all of that. And we just kind of tried to stay busy and, uh, we, yeah, we have a couple of really cool things coming up. Uh, so we're, we're, uh, recording this on May 21st, so just about a month from now, on June 23rd, our album will come out. That's awesome. Um, it's called Can't, can I swear? Yeah. yeah. Can't Fucking Wait is the name of the album. That's awesome. Um, it's out June 23rd, 15 songs. Uh, it'll be on all the streaming platforms, and we'll have uh, some physical copies. We're getting CDs made. We'd like to do vinyl eventually, but you probably know that's a sort of a dicey thing for a small act to try and logistically do at this yeah. point but we'd certainly like to do that uh, but yeah june 23rd it'll come out june 30th we have our album release show at club cafe and then uh, the thing i think we're all looking most forward to is uh on august 12th uh, august 12th and 13th we're playing on the four chord music festival with yellow card taking back sunday andrew mcmahon in the wilderness mess the home team magnolia park i mean the list goes on and if you would have said to me when I started playing the guitar in bands a long time ago that I would play at a festival with Yellow Card and Taking Back Sunday and the guy from Something Corporate and Messed, I would have I would have thought you were kidding or I, I, I don't know what timeline that would have been, but I, I'm, I'm so freaking thrilled and real super excited to do it. Hell yeah. I mean, awesome. that's, that's amazing. I mean, and, and I feel like Four Chord has definitely been a huge opportunity for local acts to play with a lot of like big touring bands uh i know that uh, i mean I'm, I'm very very good friends with josh um and i'm i'm acquainted with rishi josh is from the band lookout loretta yeah yeah we're eventually going to get him on this show i swear well we just talked about that he's he's waiting for his call we were just talking about this really? on friday night yeah because i he he plays in a band too called go for the gold right. uh, who was who was doing our album release show on june 30th oh. uh but uh josh has been a friend of mine too for 20 years now oh wow and um yeah we we were talking about doing the podcast this weekend and stuff so yeah that's cool but um you know, like you were saying, R Rishi uh, is the lead singer of the band Eternal Boy, and the Four Chord Festival is his brainchild, and uh, he puts a ton of effort, money. I mean, it's the the cost to put this on. Is, oh, I bet. Is, it's staggering in a way that, like, even being kind of tangentially in this business end of this stuff, like, it's it's staggering numbers, um, and and he does it because he he wants there to be an opportunity for people in Pittsburgh to 
to relive like the warp tours that we would go see when we were 14 15 16 and that like inspired us to do this and that's that's why he sets it up with two stages right next to each other instead of he doesn't want uh you know a ton of stuff walking around it's that was what he remembered and uh, he, he's got some cool things lined up with sponsors and stuff this year that uh, haven't been announced yet but it, it, it's it's gonna it's a lot of fun and he does a heck of a job with it and um, we're super thrilled he asked us to be part of it well that's awesome I'm, I mean you know I, I know that we've been to what three now we've been I don't know but I've seen it get better and better every year <clears throat> yeah I, I, I like I each just, year it gets mm -hmm. it, it way just, outdoes it just itself bigger and bigger every year and, and, and I think it's it's super impressive that that they're able to coordinate such a, an awesome music festival like that. So anyway, anyway, we're, we're getting, we're getting off the rails here. <laughs> so, uh, you came on, we, you gave us an album that is an important album to you. Um, you said that it was something that was kind of an inspiration to you as a guitar player. Is that true? Yeah, it, when when we talked about doing this, I, I kind of wrapped my brain like, what what would I want to talk about? Because I mean, there's, like you said, music nerds. Like this is like a huge part of just what you do every day. You put on music and listen to it. And right. So it's like, what would be something that would be interesting to talk about? And um, the Goo Goo Dolls just generally is a band when I was in middle school and learning the guitar, and uh, wanting to play it and all that. Uh, were a band that was kind of blowing up at the time and and certainly by the dizzy up the girl record was a, one of the biggest records of the year it came out right and uh, that was just something where i love every song on it which you can't say that about even a lot of records that you really like and you like them for a lot of different reasons and and like you said uh, or, uh while i was learning kind of when i was in my very first band in high school how do you approach songwriting and arranging and layering the guitar parts? Oh, okay, that's not one guy playing one part. That's three different takes of three different things put right. together. And, and you start to learn that. And, and that's, that's I guess, how most uh, people that play guitar in, in rock bands learn to do it is by learning how somebody else put their song together. And right. This was like a Rosetta Stone for me in, in that way. That's cool. No, that's cool. And, and I, I think it's neat that you're able to use an, uh, such a big album like this to kind of pull the curtain back a little bit and kind of understand the uh, the, the structure yeah. of, of song and things like that. So that that's really cool. So the album that you gave us was Dizzy Up the Girl uh, from the Goo Goo Dolls. And uh, I read that it was their sixth studio album, which was surprising to me. I didn't realize that they had actually been around for quite some time before they released yeah, it. I thought that they were plus. like, I thought they were like maybe like an early 90s thing. No, when he, what was it, 86, right? Yeah, so this is their sixth studio album. It was released September 22nd, 1998. And, um, I mean, not surprisingly at all, it's their most successful album, right. like, to date. Um, when I read, it was, they've sold over 4 million copies. Yeah. It's gone like... Uh, quadruple platinum, platinum. Yep. which is insane. Um, and I know that we were reading last night that it was um, it was produced by uh, Rob Cavallo, who has done some of the biggest 
like the, he had like this laundry list of mm. of huge records that he's produced. I mean, you know, covering Green Day. I think what he had like five Green Day. He, he did like the the Green Day that everybody thinks of as Green Day, starting with Doogie, Dookie. and then uh, also American Idiot, which yeah. is kind of their I think magnum opus. Oh, I agree. And, I agree. Uh, and he also did uh, Black Parade. Yep. Um, he was really a, a movie soundtrack guy. Like yeah. he, he was the guy that the movie producers would hire to put together their hot soundtrack for the the May release of the big Memorial Day weekend movies. So he did a lot of that in the '90s, and um, and uh, I honestly think that's how he got the connection to the Goo Goo Dolls in this record was because uh, this the first song that anyone heard from this record was the big one, Iris, which I get I think we'll get to later, yeah. but. Um, that was on a soundtrack for the movie City, City of, of Angels, Angels that had yeah. come out the prior spring, and that was sort of the springboard to the to the whole thing. But um, yeah, he, he uh, was the producer of it. David Campbell did a lot of the strings on it, so he's he's Beck's father, which is just kind of interesting and noteworthy. Oh, but wow. um, I did not know that he he got his career started by playing on Carol King's Tapestry record. Oh wow! And that got him a lot of arranging jobs, and then basically by the 2000s he had become the if you're in a pop rock band hard rock band emo band whatever and you need strings on your record this is the person you call so he did things for like lincoln park he did the spill canvas no really i'm fine he did some of the orchestral stuff on that and he's worked more recently with people like adele like he it's Celine Dion at that like superstar level so oh, yeah. Um, I don't know yeah. why that just gives me straight up um, like thong song documentary vibes <laughs> with the guy that played the the violin part. <laughs> if you've never watched the documentary, I, no, I'm, I'm, it's like a I'm ten minute. Side. Yeah, it's like a vice. Okay, like a vice story. Oh, oh, the this was a number one hit. I've I've mm -hmm. seen the series, but I, I wasn't familiar. Oh, with watch we the thong song one because they have this guy that that because they brought in an actual like. Classically like trained. classically trained yeah i think they were sitting player. on a beach in the video or something yeah like so they bring this. in this guy and he's just like this this old white dude and he's like yeah i've played with with john williams and the philharmonic and <laughs> i also wrote the violin part for the thong song and we're just like you how do you brag about those two things and then suddenly you're like and the thong song so I, I think that that's immediately what my brain did. It was like, <laughs> that's that kind of like yeah. humble brag. You're like, oh yeah. Which side note, I still want to find sheet, music, sheet music for the thong, for the thong song. song on violin because yeah. <laughs> I think that'd be really cool to just put up on the wall. Get it? Yeah, get him. Get Cisco to sign it. Get oh him to God. sign it. It'd be so funny. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, and he had done um, he'd done Newfound Glory stuff on the Catalyst record. He's oh, done cool. Mars Volta, like Francis the Mute. Um, and then, like, some of the big rock stuff of the 90s was kind of when he got to prominence. So, like, Always by Bon Jovi, which is one of the first records I ever even owned. Um, uh, Amazing by Aerosmith around the same era. Oh, wow. uh, so he, he's definitely been somebody that's been all over pop rock music for decades. And um, I, that's a big part of what brings the whole album to life is the string stuff. Oh, absolutely. I, I definitely agree. I think it, I think it really adds a lot of emotional ambiance to the songs at the right time so uh normally you know what we do we just kind of go track to track yep. just kind of talk about everything so i guess we'll just kick it off now i do want to note um that i specifically did write down for myself who wrote 
uh, each track because it's significant in the way that I didn't realize that they had two singers. Not only that, I'm sorry to interrupt you, Robbie, the bass player who only sings sporadically, was the lead singer right. for most of those first few records, which yeah. were much more punk records. Right, which I did not realize yeah. um, until I until I started listening and I my ears were offended because I was like, something's hold on, different. something's not correct here. Yeah, and, and, and today you would never have a major label release where like, you know, Johnny Resnick is a very attractive man and he has a great voice so like a today a label would never say we're going to spend a ton of money and we're going to let the bass player sing the song that he wrote like that which is stupid i mean unless and, you're unless you're less than jake yeah well i mean <laughs> the fact that we're getting back into more of like artists having a little bit more control now in a streaming environment at least in some ways but yeah that's just like a a, a thing that you just couldn't imagine happening like there's just a different voice now yeah but um, it's part of their band, and it's part of, like, you know, it's, as we go through the tracks, like, what kind of different ways, you know, I took from it, and, and like, how our album doesn't have to sound one way. Like, we like different music, where we each write songs, let's make songs that we like, and when we perform them together, that's that's us, that's the band. Well, and I, I think that the, the comparison that I kept making when we were doing our notes last night was... Um, Queen's A Night at the Opera. Oh, right. Where, like, if you if you listen to it, there are definitely... Was it Roger Taylor, right? Mm -hmm. um, if you listen... Oh, and, and Brian May, even. They all have their own songs that they sing on because they wrote them. Yep. I mean, and the Beatles did the same thing. The Eagles I mean, would do that. It's just yeah. not a thing that happens much anymore. It, you know, Sticks would do that. Well, because you get these bands that are five unbelievably world-class musicians they all sing really well and, right and um you know in in the punk genre we're generally not known for our our talents just generally but um they were a band that just could do that that yeah. just had new guy they, they different styles different performance styles lyrical styles songwriting styles vocal tone um and they use it to create different things to appeal to different people sure um but i think that it was interesting to note that because I, if you look at the popularity of this record, um, I think that it makes sense that they pushed Johnny Resnick forward. Yeah. Because I think he has more of a, for lack of a better term, like, like kind of a easy on the ears. Radio polished. Radio, yeah, radio polished kind of voice versus. Um, Robbie's, Robbie's a, a more yeah it's a punk he's a punk singer he's yeah. they they were a punk band and that's what he he grew up and that's the the energy it's more about with him the energy right um in the instead of the the technicality of the performance right so the first track on the album uh is Dizzy and it was uh sung written by Johnny um and uh I mean I think it's a strong opening track I, I, I think this is definitely... The 90s was definitely an era of, like, strong lead-off tracks on an album. And uh, I think that this was no no short shortcoming when it comes to strong tracks. I, I really enjoyed the opening to this one. And, and, and from sort of a guitar perspective, like, you had... In the 80s, you had all these new devices in the late 70s and early 80s came in to manipulate the sound of a guitar. And... 
in a lot of ways it was it was a lot of computerized kind of stuff early digital right and and that has a very certain sound some people would say sterile uh, but it was a very popular sound through the 80s and early 90s. But then kind of when the, the grunge and the alternative rock and, and a lot of that stuff came in, they just said, we're not doing that anymore. We're going back to the way we made guitar sounds in the 70s. You hear that with Pearl Jam is a great example of, of that. And um, you hear a song like like Dizzy, and, and there's just a lot of that. The, the way that they approached creating the guitar sounds was a more of an older style of a thing and I just hear that song and, and I hear it and, and it, it it sounds like every Jerry Bruckheimer movie from the late 80s looked when you think about movies like Coyote Ugly or not late 80s like or late 90s early 2000s like Coyote Ugly Armageddon they 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 look like that song sounds I, I don't know how else to describe no, it I, I agree it's just big it's blockbuster yeah. it's 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 a full a full like just fuzzy distorted guitar sound right in your face uh, yeah no I, I get it and i i definitely agree i think it's it's definitely a bombastic way to open to open your track um but i kind of got it as a and you know we we kind of everybody interprets songs differently you know and even in doing research you know you read the lyrics you you see what other people have to say about it i might hear something differently than you do or you do so i mean who knows we'll, we'll see how this goes uh but i i heard it more as like a, a kind of being in love with somebody that has just kind of given up on themselves they've kind of lost their sense of person and um it's kind of like trying to help them through trauma um you know just kind of kind of get back to the norm the status the status quo yeah and, and one thing that'll come up as we talk about the songs is i mean they grew up in buffalo in the late 70s and the 80s right. which like us here in pittsburgh was a rust belt kind of town when, mm -hmm. and that's when it started rusting and that's when the industry died and a lot of the the economic hope for the industry the, the area died and so a lot of these songs kind of come from that blue collar um trials and tribulations of like trying to make sense of the world then and and uh, they bring a lot of that forward in a lot of the songs throughout their career. But uh, I mean, it, it came to the fore. Especially in a lot of here, here. Yeah. 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 This this album, for sure, definitely showcases a lot of that. Um, but yeah, that's basically what I said. Is that you know, about a girl that he is in love with, but has like, you know, the the toxic, like dark side or whatever. That you know, she's cynical and beautiful. Um, monochrome delirious like all these things that he describes her which i started writing down like similar to our uh ludicrous episode where i listed all the places and oh, what's God. your fantasy right a <laughs> <laughs> laundry list of all the things he describes her as but um but yeah i mean just talking about like like her trauma and history like you know the the lyrics that are like kick the machine that makes you piss away your dreams you know so it sounds like he wants to like you know, break down her, like, awful past, but then the part where he's, like, tear down your defenses and there's nothing but me, I was like, well, maybe he's a little bit, like, controlling, too. I don't know. Well, maybe but... he maybe he's also speaking from a trauma point of view. Yeah. Because late, later on, when you read into more of the lyrical content, you know, you find out about his past. Yeah. And we'll get more into that once we get a little further. Well, I feel like, songs. yeah, as we went through the album, like, we learned a lot about... 
Oh, yeah. Like, I, his town, his situation, you know, what their reality was. So I think that changed the picture of absolutely. some of the songs earlier on for me. I think after doing the research, listening to it's going to be different. I mean, it always is a little yeah, different. Absolutely. But yeah, I think, too, you also have, I mean, in 95, 96, uh, their prior album, uh, A Boy Named Goo, had come out, and that was the one that kind of made them a known thing that had the, the big power ballad name. So after that, they had their first taste of, you know, success in the movie, in music industry. So now they're, getting, they're these guys that lived in an attic in Buffalo, like above a bar or something like that. And uh, now all of a sudden they're invited to Hollywood parties. So I, there's definitely an element of that kind of just disassociation um, from, you know, trying to navigate this new world that they were suddenly, like, uh, invited to but not sure if it was for them. I'm sure it was a culture shock. Yeah. I mean, obviously, you know, like you said, coming from a, a small, small-ish town like Buffalo to then <clears> suddenly you're at, you know, parties with famous people in L.A., and you're like, what the hell, the hell did I get yeah, here? Yeah, And thinking how the 90s was, like, no social media, like, less internet, like, you're kind of yeah, you're even like, less in touch with a lot of things happening. Right. I mean, I'm sure I mean, I'm thinking of myself in 98, and there's a lot less, <laughs> a lot less that I knew what was going on. Right, you know? absolutely. Uh, so that goes right into the next track, which is uh, Slide. Uh, which is another uh, Johnny Resnick song. And it, this one was actually released as the first single on the album, um, which I, I think was a, I think it was an interesting choice um, for the first single. I think it was like it was definitely a decision that they were like, yeah, this is a, this is a track that, the, that would be good to get on the radio. Um, but I mean it, it, it's a pretty straightforward song when you kind of listen to it and you you hear the, you hear the lyrical content, you're like, okay, yeah, it's definitely what I read, which was, it's about a, a Catholic schoolgirl that, a young Catholic schoolgirl that gets pregnant, mm -hmm. and it's basically her and her boyfriend conversing about, well, what do we do now? Yep. Do we... <laughs> it's the 90s Papa Don't Preach. Yeah, yes, absolutely. <laughs> um, but yeah, they, even with the line, do you want to get married or run away, you know, they're kind of... Uh, you know, touching on the the uh, trigger warning, the abortion. I know I, I that's a hot topic, but um, and that the, comes back in Black Balloon. Yes, yes. Um, the abortion or marriage kind of thought process, because then they they also go into like the um, you know priests on the phone, daddy's at the wall, <laughs> like it's just, just like yeah. it's just like they go into the well. They, they go into the what if portion of the song because it's, it's kind of, um, they keep it kind of vague because they, they, they are telling a story, but they don't necessarily say, oh yeah, she did it or, oh no, she did not. Yeah. Which I think is, is kind of a, you know, an interesting way to do it. But I, I, I love this song. I always have. Yeah, I do too. But, um, the misconception that it's a happy song or, you know, whatever with like everything else, I never listened that closely. It's, it's, I knew all the words, yeah. but till I read it on paper, well, not paper, but on a screen, I was like, it's a summer song for sure. It's, and it's got some of that sound production wise. Like there's the, the rock organ in it, which you hear, like Smash Mouth was out at that time, and like you just hear some of this stuff that was like 
you know, it showing up in other songs, like a couple months later, like all the small things comes out, and that has you know, a little bit of that, and Wendy Clear from the the Blink Enema of the State record. So there's a lot of this summer pop song, summer jam stuff in it, but it's lyrically very heavy. Dark. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, we, we kind of um, said that it was very similar to the conversation that we had about about ska music, where ska music is is really, really extremely depressing music that's just um, with highlighted horns. with horns. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but yeah, I, I, I agree. It definitely has that, like, you're like, oh, yeah, this is a song in the summer, and then you listen to it, and you're like, oh, fuck. <laughs> oh, wow. Oh, hmm. But it's layered like that, which I like. I oh, mean, yeah. it, on the surface, it's it's one thing, and, you know, in depth, it's something else. Yeah. And I think that just adds to, to like, its charm. Um, <laughs> Our favorite gonna... part? No, you go. Okay. Uh, my favorite <laughs> thing that I read about this song is that they actually performed it on Sesame Street uh, <laughs> with Elmo, but they changed the song to... They changed the song and lyrics to Pride, and it was a song about... Um, like things that give kids pride, like helping mom bake an apple pie. Okay. Uh, I haven't had the chance to like find the video of it yet, but I was like, that is such an odd choice because like, especially yeah. after you read the lyrical content, you're like, they played this on Sesame street. And then what are they going to do next black balloon. Yeah. Right. Like, <laughs> so yeah, I, I always like finding that weird kind of stuff. And that was one of those things I read and I was like, Okay, Elmo. I I just want to hear Elmo singing "Slide" now. Yeah, that we're, that, gonna, we're gonna look that up later. Right. Like that. <laughs> right. <laughs> As I'm demonstrating, like how Elmo would be a puppeteer. That'd be so funny. Uh, yeah. So we're gonna have to find that. We'll we'll post the link once we find the video. I'm sure it's on YouTube somewhere. <laughs> oh, it has to be. Yeah. No, we'll post no a link in the in the on the the socials. Um, so. The next song up is Broadway, which I actually think is one of my favorite songs oh, yeah. on the album. I think it's always been one of my favorite, like, Goo Goo Doll songs in general. Um, I don't know why. I just always... I feel like the imagery for this is, like, yeah, super powerful. Like, way I, more I, than anything else in this album for I me. Agree. Um, and I, and I, maybe I, it's being brought up or we're brought up, too. Like the yeah, I think belt, it's, like, yeah, I think it's definitely the the connection of the, you know... Like the part with, you know, young man sitting in an old man's bar waiting for his turn to die. Like, it's just, you're like, okay, yeah, you, you're you're born here, you're raised here, and you die here. And it's just, it, well, we it definitely know that was. Place. Yeah, oh yeah. Yeah, and, and it, we went to high school with that guy that, yeah, just, you know, yeah, we know this, we know the story. Yeah. And I mean, it definitely was, you know, was Resnick kind of referring to, the, the area that he grew up in, which was the Broadway Fillmore neighborhood in Buffalo. And, it, you know, it was a lower income, working class neighborhood. Bar um, and a church on every corner. Yeah. That's um, how they described it. Yeah, and I mean, that sounds like the south side here in Pittsburgh or Millville, where we just were yesterday. I mean, it's just, yeah. you could describe any one of the little boroughs around the city where the people worked and lived. Yeah, the, the line that, that accompanied what you just mentioned, uh, I, I love that line. You pray to statues when you sober up for fun. Oh, yeah. Um, I was just like, oh, man. Well, yeah, because, like, the opposite of, like, how people, you know, enjoy, you know, getting drunk, like, one day a week. These people get sober one day a week. Right. Um, 
But it also gets into like his difficult relationship with his alcoholic father, um, and you know his passing when he was fifteen, and you know the imagery there where he talks about like how his dad used to take him to the bar with him, <laughs> and you know he yeah. would order a drink and he would order Johnny like a pop and a like a, a snack, mm-hmm. and they would just sit in there and he would just. He said that he would just kind of admire all the people just kind of, you know, drinking the day away after they, you know, worked their asses off and in the industrious part of town, Mm -hmm. you know, and then watching that just kind of decay and watching the, like the dim lights, you know, fading the, fading people's faces out so you can't see the 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 wear and tear of, you know, life and the hard life they're living. Yeah, and I mean, I probably, when I first heard that, which was, it was one of the singles from the record, so it was on the radio. Yeah. And uh, I probably interpreted it initially, at least as Broadway, like New York, like where the theaters are, like the right. lights are out. On the, and I, you know, I think there's a little bit of an alliteration there. Like, sure. Oh, yeah. Pulling that imagery that, like, most people would immediately hear Broadway and they think of musical theater and everything. But, I mean, for him, it's one of the main roads in town, which you know, had been a vibrant place and no longer was. Right. But yeah, I mean, I've always loved this song. Um, yeah, I think it's about, like, breaking the cycle that you're born with. And I think, that, like, it's a common theme, like we've talked about before, and a lot of, you know, punk, ska, Oh, yeah, whatever. I mean, punk, punk, emo, ska, there's always the, I hate this town, I love this town, this is my hometown. Those are, like, the three big themes. Yeah. And then you have, like, your your love heartache kind of songs and this is definitely the uh i love this town but i also hate this yeah, town. Mi- mixed feelings about it you know um, this is i'm proud of where i'm from but i don't really like it very much yeah yeah you definitely get uh you definitely get well i didn't make this connection until just now you definitely get uh suburbia vibes oh yeah like i definitely um we we are super uh, into the suburbia the Wonder Years from yeah. the Wonder Years and like this definitely is a descriptive this is one song that is that could fit into that type of oh definitely playlist well, I think too I mean I was in eighth grade when this album came out or I guess no when it came out in September I would have been in ninth grade okay so um so I was I feel like when you get guys like the Wonder Years or maybe even some of these younger kids like Hot Mulligan that are kind of doing something sort of in this... I, I feel like this, in some way or another, was influential on like both those bands. Sure. Because it, there's just so much about it that even though it is more polished and kind of radio rock, it was definitely some... I mean, you still hear Broadway and slide when you're at the grocery store, right? Like, right. it just seeps into you and... And there's a lot of good stuff in these records that somebody that was kind of list, beginning to listen to music, like I could imagine maybe Soupy was, you know, in fifth, sixth grade, hearing this and connecting to it kind of the same way I did. Sure. Yeah, I got a Boring Town vibe from, like, Less Than Jake. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, yeah so I, I mean, I definitely, I've always liked this song. It's always been a very relatable song for me. So I, I, I also think it's very interesting that... Um, the first three tracks on the album were all Johnny Resnick written and sung. Mm-hmm. Um, so it, 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 I don't want to say that they were like trying to hide Robbie, but I, I feel like they kind of were. 
because if you look at the way that they sporadically like place him on this album i think that the label purposefully did that they kind of maybe kind of pulled him back a little bit i could i mean i could see that like i said t- today you would just never have that like right you know but um I, I i do feel too though that that the album flows well and i mean it's it's definitely i mean johnny resnick's voice is what everyone thinks of when they think of the goo goo dolls so that, sure. that makes sense in one way but kind of getting into the fourth song which was the first robbie one on the record that's where i think we really sort of change up the sound of the record a lot and yeah. kind of go into something a little bit different yeah i mean because like we we get into uh the next song which is january friend and um you know, it's it's a lot faster paced. Um, it definitely has more of like a uh, like a, a mid '90s like pop punk vibe to it, where it's like the drums are a little faster, the guitar is chugging a little more. So you know, it's a little more driving than the first three tracks. And then you hear Robbie sing, and his vocals are very gruff and very very different. Um, you know initially when i listened to this one of the first times through i was like boy my ears just don't like this transition it's the change yeah. yeah like it's a weird transition to me but now that i've listened to it more i don't necessarily know that like i like it any more or less but i can appreciate the the breakup in in songs the way they they placed it um but i i mean i think it's a it's a decent song i didn't really I didn't really get a clear message from it, but I kind of got that it's like, um, like a guy and a girl that are in a relationship, but it's more, it's more based on her needs where she only comes around once in a while when it's convenient for her. And hence the, the January friend line. And, um, you know, I, I think I mean, I think it's a it's a good song. I don't necessarily. I wouldn't say that it's like a filler track, but I think it's a smart, a smart breakup between the more serious. Yeah, it's a good way stuff. To um, and it's the first one on the record that kind of shows their punk roots. Yeah. And it's. I mean, to me, I always thought it sort of sounded like a sound a song that would be on like the soundtrack to a John Hughes film, like a Breakfast Club or a Pretty in Pink or something like that. It's sure. got kind of that. A little bit of that post-punk, uh, later 80s sort of sound. Yeah, like, yeah, I, I could definitely hear that. I But actually, that would be an interesting... I'd like to see that, like, in a in a movie like that. Like, the old, like, John Hughes movies. That'd yeah. be cool. But I feel like, um, knowing that, you know, they're singing the songs that they wrote and seeing the difference between their songwriting, like, his is more, um, more vague, like, open for... You know, interpretation where I think you know Johnny like paints a picture, like more clearly in some of the songs. So I do, I do like the difference between that. Yeah, I definitely think I'm gonna use my favorite word. Juxtaposition. Here. I definitely think it's a good juxtaposition of like lyricism, where you you like you said, you just have two people that are. I think they're just telling different stories. You know, I I think, I think Johnny wants to give you a more. They want to. He wants to reach on your play on your heartstrings a little bit more. Whereas, Robbie kind of has more of the like. Like this could be anybody's story. Yeah, it, it could yeah. be. This is this is the that's like the Jack and Diane kind of vibe that you yeah. get from from Robbie, where you're like this. He's just writing like the 
like the John Q Everyman kind of song where you're like, oh, okay. I mean, because everybody has, whether it's a, you know, partner, friend, whatever, somebody that only comes around when they... When it's convenient. Yeah, yeah sure. sure. So, I mean, I, I think it's a good way to, to kind of break up the seriousness, the serious tone, because then you get into the next song and it's just a whole other world of seriousness. Um, so you, you get back into a, a, a Johnny Resnick written and sung Black Balloon, which is another one of their big hits. And um, Dark. Good God. <laughs> and it's one of those songs that I, I think I had a similar, th- similar thing with you with Slide, where like I kind of had a feeling that's what it was about, but until I like read it in front of me and like it was a confirmed thing that like in an interview Johnny Resnick talked about I was like okay that makes a whole lot of fucking sense so I mean it's obviously about somebody that's struggling with a heroin addiction and um, you know about like her lover that's desperately trying to save her and they and there were some some things that were saying that the speculation behind it is that it's it's based on um, Robbie's first or ex-wife who died of a heroin overdose. Um, so I mean that that in itself is already like oof. But I mean, it's an amazing song, and I think that the the alliteration in the lyrics using black balloon, you know, you don't think of when you when you see that. You don't think of like, oh, this is black balloons of heroin. Okay. No, you just think of like, okay, these are balloons. Balloons are nice. Like You, you don't see a black <laughs> one because that's not a pretty color. Like no. There's no, when you blow up balloons for your, your nephew's birthday, there's no black one. Right. And yeah, so like. <laughs> I mean, you unless know, they're like, you know, this is not a phase, mom. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. It's, it's their, yeah, exactly. Extra on the office where they're like, it is your birthday. <laughs> But like you said, like like Slide, which has a very serious lyrical theme, this one did too. And um, also, kind of from a music perspective, this song, uh, the way that they do the acoustic guitar, they use an, what's called an open tuning. And that gives it that very warm, very kind of open sound. And like, I was just learning to play at the time. So like, I was very not good at playing these big open chords and hitting putting all my fingers exactly where they needed to be to make a pretty sound. But once I was like, oh, he did this, where half the strings are tuned to the actual same pitch, it gives it this warm thing. It's a lot easier to play. And like that kind of opens your brain up to exploring different sounds where, I mean, it's a very simple, like the main verse is it's a one, four chord progression, which is the same thing they use in the chorus of slide. It's the same progression. But by doing that open tuning, it it, it, it it softens everything, it gives it a different timbre, and you see a ton of that in Midwest emo now, like uh, that kind of open tuning to create these different sounds that you otherwise just can't do. Sure. Uh, they do that in a lot of songs on this record, and it's where I picked that up, you know, while I was learning, was like, oh, this is another tool to create a new sound. Yeah, I mean, and that, that was something that I read a lot in like articles and and everything is that like they played around with with really really like exotic tuning mm-hmm. stuff on a lot of the songs in this on this record and I I think that that's impressive and like I said that's a huge thing in a lot of kind of the the more mellow sort of parts of of 
emo pop punk and things like that today especially the midwest emo stuff is in these open tunings and uh and, and you get a band then like covet is a newer band that i mean she's just an incredible guitarist and she takes that to another level but it's this idea of let's let's change the approach to the instrument to unlock new sounds awesome yeah i i definitely think this is another one of those like you hear it in the grocery store <laughs> yeah. songs and you're like oh yeah that song yeah not being a musician myself like reading about the stuff that they did differently was just like because I, I just glossed over it but like reading about like how the the bridge has like you know a drop and like an up and a down it's like symbolic of this person's like struggle so like even that's obvious not yeah. being like as in tune with the sound differences that you guys pick up I also like uh, there is one specific line in this song that uh, I always I always heard and I was like it was one of those things that I was like this song has to be about drugs and it was <laughs> scattered like ice from the spoon mm. and I was like this song is about heroin and then I read it and I was like I, oh I was right yeah. put on your horse with no name track <laughs> yeah right. This. Right. It, it, I mean, it, but I think that it's very reminiscent of the uh, the semi-charmed oh, vibe, man. where you're like, "That's a song about fucking crystal meth," and which, which they used to bleep out on the radio. They they don't do it anymore. Right. I guess I guess I guess we've become fine with crystal meth. Right. But Breaking Bad. But yeah. like you're, you're like, holy shit! This is a song about doing hard drugs, but it's hidden behind the doot doot doos, and you're like, uh, okay, yeah. that's acceptable, I guess. Yeah, it sounds like something the monkeys would have said. Right? <laughs> but uh, right. But it's another one too, where it's I think really one of the first ones on the record with a big string arrangement. Yeah. And that's. I mean, I think there's a little bit of that in, in Dizzy and, and some of the other stuff earlier. But yeah, but this is definitely one of the more cinematic kind yeah, of it's, sounding it's, it's a very very full orchestral and that's art. um you know we we have one on the last song on the old neon record is more in this sort of vein and and uh that is how i would have approached it because i was listening to stuff like this and and the the aerosmith power ballads of the time i don't want to miss a thing so that's just sort of the way i've always approached that kind of song whereas or the guitar player, Sean, who wrote it, just had a, a much different, and he had, I, I appreciate the strong vision he had for it, because we, you know, we both kind of grew up listening to the same sort of things, and he took different things from the music of that era, and that's one of the things that's just interesting when you work with others, is oh, yeah. what do you kind of bring into it, so, um, um, but uh, that's one of the things I love about a lot of this record, is the orchestral stuff, that, I mean, it's, you could say it's cheesy, and it's, you know, the, the, the radio polish, but... It's something that I, I bite into every time. Well, I mean, and I think it's it's there for a purpose. I think it's there to add a really dramatic tone um, to the right songs. Yeah. I think they use it in such a way that it, it doesn't feel cheesy. That it feels like, okay, this is a very dramatic song about a very, very, like, serious thing. Well, because it's not overused. Right. Right, yeah, it's not... It's I think it was not... on every track, you'd be like, ugh. But, yeah. like, it is to emphasize, like... Right specific songs so get out of that get out of that hole for a second here <laughs> let's uh hop over to the next track which is uh bulletproof uh, another resnick track um i wasn't really sure like from a message standpoint with this song exactly what he was trying to get at 
um, it kind of felt like it was just, just kind of an like a an unfaithful lover, kind of quarrel, and like trying to call them out on it, but they're not, they they're denying it. Like it's denying to your face, but you're still trying to make some semblance of a relationship work, but then it's not because it's based on lies. Um, but. What I did write in my notes was awesome driving bass line because the bass in this song is just fucking epic. Like it's mm. it's such a like a thick like bass like I think he's um, doing slap for part of it because like it definitely is like a really open full like bass line that opens it up and really drives it. It, the whole the vibe whole of it is is darker and it's it's more of like '90s alternative like you know kind of maybe influenced by someone like the Smashing Pumpkins, like the Melancholy record or something like that, where it just is, is the vibe is, is darker and, and, and uh, fuzzier and things like that. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. um, I mean, still a great song. Um, I mean, I, I just, I think that it's definitely a good way to follow up Black Balloon. They're like, okay, we just gave you something real heavy. Here's just another really good like listener i feel like yeah for me it was more of a palate cleanser after that one because yes. it was like the heavy but, seriousness and now but also like not a palate cleanser in a forgettable way no it's it wasn't just a like, where's the party but yeah it was... uh, absolutely yeah. <laughs> yeah it's a it's an album track it's probably not one they've played live many times maybe they have i don't know but um it's it's the kind of song that it's the reason that you sell four million copies of a record because sure. the songs that weren't on the radio are that good yeah, yeah. Okay, so we have a really interesting, interesting find on the next track. Uh, it's called Amagon, or Am I Gone, however you want to, Amigony. <laughs> um, so this is another uh, Robbie written track. Very pop punk. It is. It's super pop punk. Um, and it, it definitely is another, I think this is a little bit more of a serious song for the ones that he wrote for this album, though, because it touches more on the like grasping with the loss of of a loved one and like the guilt of the end of life relationship that you had with them um or just regret is yeah just yeah. a lot of a lot of regrets uh but we found actually that uh the song is named after a chain of funeral homes in buffalo <laughs> i didn't know that yeah I yeah. was like, man, that is like, that is, and that's somebody's name. Yeah, that's, it's not that's, like, oh, am I gone? This is a funeral. Yeah, I always, I always thought in my head it was pronounced, "Am I gone?" Oh, it is, like, but I, like, yeah, yeah, <laughs> but, but yeah, we read into it, and they, I guess that he deliberately named it after that. Wow. Okay. And I was like, that's There's a long line of "Am I gone?" Yeah, <laughs> they run the funerals, <laughs> which I'm sure that's not how their names pronounced. Yeah, <laughs> I, I hope you know what I hope that it's pronounced Amigany. I really so, <laughs> The only complaint that I had about the song was, though, that every time you point a finger, three point back at you. And I remember, like, having that said to me as a child, and it was just like, <laughs> eye roll. Yeah, that, that, that is But everything else. <laughs> yeah, I mean, the, the track is a good track, but I, I that, that opening line, that line has always been like a corny thing to say to somebody. But overall, I, I think it's a, I think it's a really good track. I, I, I like, I definitely like the more pop punk vibe to it um i think this 
this track being sung by Robbie is a more palatable track for my ears to hear versus January Friend, like where it where it falls in the record. Oh, okay. Um, you know, like it doesn't feel like it's so separated. Sure. Um, but I mean, I, I think it's a really good song. And I've always thought, kind of musically, it sounded sort of like a lot of like the power pop that was happening then or about to happen. Bands like Sugar Cult and American Hi-Fi. Sure. Um, things that weren't entirely pop punk. Lit would be another similar one, where it's it's not like grunge or post grunge. It's not really alternative. It's a little too pop for that. It's not punk, but it's much closer to you know stuff that was happening on drive through records than than other things so it's it's just got some of that sound and that's a big part of what kind of you know what i really started to fall in love with around that time i think it almost it almost falls into the like uh the jimmy world yeah great yeah. category i think I, clarity would have been out around that sure time, so, i definitely yeah. get clarity vibes out of that song for sure um yeah i mean i i i think it's a good track though i i i had i i, I enjoyed it well, the interesting thing that, that I know you read, too, was about how uh, he didn't perform it live for a while because he couldn't sing and play bass at the same time, and I was like... <laughs> I, had a, I had a problem with that. <laughs> I don't know. I, it just... I, I said to her last night, I was like, I can think of three bass players that are the lead singers of bands right off the top of my head that can play the most absolutely absurd bass parts and still sing their song, and I just don't understand. Well, I, 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 I'll, I'll stand up for him there. I struggle to stand <laughs> upright and play my song, so let alone like having to add singing into it. So. Okay, yeah, I mean, I can't <laughs> give him that. Look, I can't sing and play drums. I can't sing. <laughs> I can't do either. We'll play a mean clarinet, though. No, Fuck. I really can't anymore. It's been years. For some reason, that made me think of Ferris Bueller. When he just, like, farts into the clarinet, and he's like, only had one lesson. <laughs> Um, so that goes into the next track, which I think is a an interesting track to note because it is sung by Johnny, but it was written by everybody. Yeah. So all three of them had contributing writing to this song. Um, it's called All Eyes on Me. Um, and I definitely think that it was like kind of the the loss of innocence and like challenging your your morals and kind of getting lost probably in LA probably yeah, yeah. I mean yeah I don't know why I wanted to say lost in the sauce so bad there <laughs> well yeah I mean but like they, they had it's an album title right yeah I mean but like I could see maybe how that was at least some of the the impetus where they're all of a sudden they have like one I don't want to say it was a minor hit it was a huge hit but it wasn't like you know, the biggest thing ever, and now suddenly they're they are getting invited to things, or they're being part of a, a different kind of a scene, and yeah, and it's just like, who are these people? Why wait? Why they're only interested? Why are they interested in me now? You know, they weren't interested in us, you know, six months ago. Yeah, and um, I think the like the line or whatever, everything you're chasing leaves you empty is like this thing you wanted isn't as fulfilling as as you thought it would be. Right, because I, I think that that is kind of like, the visualization there is kind of being surrounded by all these people that just feel fake. And I think yeah. that's a theme in a lot of things too, because I, I get a Wonder Years vibe with that, with like, you know, Dan touring for whatever, and then leaving. 
everything after that album and you know right the things you're chasing leave you empty yeah yeah but i I think this is a really great track um oh yeah and i kind of think it's cool that this song is sandwiched by two robbie tracks okay yeah um because like you kind of have this like middle section of the album where you've got Robbie, then the whole band writes something together, and then another Robbie right afterwards, and I think it's a cool kind of middle port. So, I think it's nice because it doesn't it doesn't have that, like, mid-album lull mm-hmm. where, that you run into with some albums, where it's like a strong start, lull in the middle, yeah. and then the end is like, okay. Yeah, and it's it's got another great string arrangement. Even, like, the way that guitars are put together, like, in the beginning... It sort of sounds like one part, but it's several, and it's again that kind of, you know, it was like a how I le- kind of learned to do sort of what I do, right? Is is put these little things together that on their own don't sound very interesting, but you start to put them together, and um, then you add the other stuff to it. I think it's one of the better vocal performances too on the record. Uh, it's just one of those songs that, like, if you were to download the album or listen to it however and you're not that familiar with all of it and you you know the radio songs you hear this and you're like wow this one's really good too like it's it's a very strong song sure and i think that's what i i know that i have listened to this album in its entirety at one point or another but i think until i really started listening to it for this episode i really started to grow more of an appreciation for the way that they wrote this album yeah um, and I think that this song is a testament to that, for sure. And, and you can hear um, some of the songs like um, that are on uh, the prior record, Boy Named Goo, have very similar sounds to this. But like when you got like Rob Cavallo involved here to produce this, like and just the polish that they were able to bring to this one, I'm sure their budget was much bigger. Sure. Uh, after Name and Naked were huge hits, but. Um, that that's a big part of like you can hear their sound take that next step from boy named goo which was still a, it was radio friendly but still a little rawer and rougher around the edges to you know this is the absolute most well produced version of this song or or maybe someone some would say overproduced but the it's definitely something that i personally like yeah, no, for sure. Yeah, I feel like until we started in the podcast, I didn't appreciate like the position of tracks on the album and how intentional that is. Um, just because it had been years since I listened to like a full album since you know cassettes. Sure. <laughs> like when you had to. When you had to. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah like I, I didn't realize how intentional the placement was, and I feel like this is in a great spot. Yeah, absolutely. We just went through that like with the old Neon record, like trying to figure out exactly the track order because again, you have three different guys that kind of drove the writing and then everyone else contributing but okay how do we all you know make it so that that's a strength and not like you said earlier it's just sort of comes out of nowhere at you so how do how did we that that was kind of a a goal is how do we create something that flows that you would want to sit and listen to you know our songs for 40 minutes i don't know why you would yeah, do that you don't want to like oh <laughs> I, I listened to your whole spotify thing after we went to when, when we saw you in live yeah so listen to everything yeah me too i've i've listened to it all uh, but yeah like you don't want to front load an album too because then people stop listening or you know not everything's going to be a hit right and you don't right. always know yeah, I mean, I mean, I think we, I, I use, I'll use the example that we've gone back to a few times, which is when we did the Fratellis. Oh yeah. 
uh, Costello music, like that that album's front loaded, and then it it tapers off once you hit like track five or six. It, you can tell that like it's fluff. Like they they wrote songs that they wanted to write, but the way that they put them on the album didn't make it flow the right way. Okay. So you, you you definitely find yourself bored by like the the like the three quarter way point in the album. I still feel bad for giving that to you. But oh boy! <laughs> but the good is real good. At least I think. Oh yeah, yeah. No, I I appreciate. Most of the album. Not good. It's not good. Yeah, no. It's definitely <laughs> it's definitely Jimmy Jimmy. That's for sure. We always use these. Uh, we did an episode on Madonna, True Blue. Like we did an okay. '80s episode, and there's a couple songs that she did. We Jimmy Jimmy is like the the fluff, not great song. Yeah, like and where's just... the party is the perfectly like acceptable song to fill the space, but it's no like. Yeah, it's it, no Papa Don't Preach. Right, like it's 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 <laughs> neither good nor bad. It's a perfectly acceptable, you know. Yeah. Palatable, like you're popular. not gonna skip it while you're doing the dishes. Yeah, like you're you're gonna be cleaning the house. Just where's the party? You're just but like, it's no eye roll. Like yeah. oh man, where's the skip? Yeah, you're no, you're not like Ugh, Jimmy Jimmy. <laughs> um. Anyway, so we we switched gears and back to another uh, Robbie led track, which is uh, Full Forever, which. Um, I mean, I, I don't know if he knew very much about science at the time. <laughs> Full moon forever, bad time for everybody. Yeah, um, that's what I wrote down. Why can't the moon stay full forever? And I was like, oh, science. But that's the other nerd part in me. <laughs> right. Um, but I, I think that it was it, it was definitely him talking about like a, like a fling that he wanted to be more of a serious relationship. But... It was kind of, it was, this is like a literal alliteration of like the once in a blue moon kind of fling, which I think is why he, he was said like, why can't it always be a full moon? Because like when it's that time, that's when she's here. Uh, okay. And then like any other time it's not. And I, I think that was kind of the vibe that I got where it was like, well, why can't we just have this thing? all the time and not just like sometimes um yeah i got an ever long vibe with that because it was like if anything could ever feel this real forever like, oh yeah i don't know why but i think it's that time period where sure no that's that's definitely a good comparison i i agree um and i think it's also like him touching on the like the the fact that when it's not that time that like him being alone is just absolute bullshit like he just hates it and he like expresses that lyrically a few times um but again i appreciate like the the more vague lyrics where he doesn't come out and give that whole picture oh yeah like you, you i mean would, you have the full moon image yeah i mean that, and that but again it's that's symbolic absolutely and that's one of those kind of things where it's all open for interpretation yeah and musically, it's it's a kind of a garage rock kind of vibe, kind of mm -hmm. late '60s, early '70s sort of, and yeah. they bring the organ part in again on that, and right. that, that um, kind of lends itself to that. So it's it's like on one hand with the kind of the garage rock thing, it's like a simpler arrangement, but they do things to class it up, and I, it's just another one that's um, an album track, but a, a strong one for sure. It's like it's like giving a garage band a, a budget. Yeah. <laughs> and they're like, here, we got like all these like session players. 
Uh, you know, you can borrow them if you want. Yeah, exactly. Um, so that leads into kind of an interesting, uh, an interesting choice with the way the album goes towards the the last few songs. Uh, the next track is acoustic number three, which uh, is there. Is there a one and two? I not that I'm aware of. Okay, so here we are. We've got acoustic number three. And it was probably when they were demoing. It was probably Iris was number one and Black yeah. Balloon was number two, and this was just the third one, like uh, the other one that I'm playing on the the acoustic guitar on. Well, led to an interesting diversion of talking about numbers and song titles. Yeah, we made, a, we, we made a whole that. playlist of of songs that have numbers in the title, uh, <laughs> one through ten. Um, we'll make that a playlist. That'll probably become an episode. I think sometime. it needs to be a mini. It's yeah. just it's just odd. It's um, that weird. But yeah, I, I mean, I, I think that this was definitely a, a kind of good way to prepare you for what you were getting into. Uh, but it's kind of a it's kind of an interesting like lyrical track because it it's it's really got a lot to do with kind of g- gaslighting, like it's be it's being it's it's being traumaed by trauma. Yeah. And because I, I wrote here like trauma caused runs deeper than the surface, where it's like you're being traumaed by somebody that went through a lot of trauma because they, they say the line, um, cause your, your mother loves your father cause she's got nowhere to go. And she, that whole thing got me about like, you're raised with this. It's like generational. Yeah. You're in a cycle. And yeah. I, I felt like that was an interesting, um, song to compare to Broadway too, because I mean, that had the, the visual as well of doing the thing your parents did. Yeah. Yeah, which I think is another way to like that that like Johnny kind of subtly kind of tied those two tracks in together. That's another thing that's, you know, where we grew up listening to records. We would go to National Record Mart and spend all of our money on one CD and then you would listen to the whole thing. <laughs> you know, because it was expensive. But um, You paid for this. Yeah, <laughs> but like the other thing that's nice is thematically they do keep tying these different things back in. So it's not like a concept record, but it's it, it's something that is a, a group of songs that were meant to be presented together. Right. Which is, is, I mean, even with like the way that like my band Old Neon does stuff, I mean, we're, we're just kind of constantly trying to keep putting stuff out to just keep trying to catch ears, you know, and, and that just, that is good for us for now. But I love the idea of, conceiving a group of songs and thematically tying them together whether musically thematically or lyrically and uh, that this is a great example i mean it's a short song uh, another one with the open tunings which uh, you're able to create this kind of pretty arpeggio much simpler or do things that you would otherwise not be able to do in that key right and um you know so another one that was influential but uh, and another just a song that is it's just acoustic guitar and strings and yeah. vocals um but it, it it fits with the rest of the record sure. very well yeah i mean i think that even though it's like a, a slower shorter song than, than the, literally the rest of the entire album um it doesn't lack in importance mm-hmm. it doesn't it doesn't feel like it's just like a you know we threw it in there because we had you know, two more minutes to add to the yeah. record. Well, it might be it might be short, but it's lyrically like it's oh dense. yeah, it's very there's dense. layers. Yeah, I mean, there was a lot of lyrics I wrote down because they were just like, like, um, wonder where these dreams go when the world gets in your way, and like, 
just the frustration of like living that life is just coming through in the lyrics you know what's the point of you know all the screaming when no one's listening and basically talking about your you know your mother and wonders where the dreams go because the world got in her way yeah so i mean that picture of you know what family the family's like in that area like that kind of stuff and then reading later like he lost both of his parents at a young age and like it's just interesting to find out about him as a person while reading this stuff you know yeah so and and like we were saying i think it's a good uh transition into um i think arguably they're I wouldn't even say arguably. It's not arguably. It's, it's it's flat out. It's their biggest song. It's it's their biggest, Everybody most says. recognizable. It's the hugest, most extravagant song. One of the album. biggest songs of that year. Absolutely. I think I saw that it uh, it only was due to timing that it didn't hit number one on like the Billboard 100. It didn't hit number one on the Hot 100, but on the Airplay, which is radio like how much not in terms of how many people are buying this but how many people are listening to it on the radio it was number one for a record setting number of weeks yeah um we are of course are talking about the song iris which i mean i i is a song everybody knows um i mean what, what do you say about one of the biggest songs to come out of to come out of the late 90s i yeah. mean yeah it's, it's like a, it's a great song I mean, it's always been a great song. I, I never get tired of listening to it. Um, great cover that came out of... <laughs> New Found Glory's we'll covered it. That. Yeah, we'll talk about that. Um, but, I mean, obviously, this was... I, I thought that it was kind of interesting, though, that it was originally written specifically for the movie, and then they put it on the album. Yeah, you go back to that era, and I mean, that was, I mean, I mentioned Jerry Bruckheimer earlier, but he really, in uh, in the 80s, kind of pioneered this idea of, like, the movie will help sell the soundtrack, and then the songs being on the radio will help people get into the theater to see it. Right. You see that with, like, the Beverly Hills Cops stuff, Top Gun, the Take mm -hmm. My Breath Away, uh, Flashdance obviously was huge. Sure. And the, so this is part of that tradition. And one of the things that's interesting is, I mean, now you just feel like they pluck just, especially in a lot of like the stuff that we've seen. I mean, even movies I like, like Guardians of the Galaxy, they're, they're just sort of plucking songs that already exist out and like putting them into the film. Sure. Whereas he actually went out of his way to watch an early cut of the film and write a song um, about the movie and uh, it's it's from the movie City of Angels which came out in uh, the spring of 98 so a couple months before the Dizzy Up the Girl record right and Nicolas Cage who was kind of at the height of his career he just won an Academy Award I think two years prior um, uh, is an angel an immortal angel in this movie and, right. and he falls in love with Meg Ryan's character and he gives up his immortality to learn what it's like to be a human. So it's like this ridiculously melodramatic thing. And then they wrote a ridiculously melodramatic song for it. And, but it's, it's an absolute classic. Oh yeah. Uh, it's, that's the reason most people know who the band is. And, um, it's, it's, it's just something that I, I to this day love. Absolutely. Um, uh, I just thought I would pluck in a fun fact here. Um, did you read this about Greek mythology? Yeah. Yeah, so in Greek mythology, Iris was the god messenger uh, that left messages in a rainbow. Huh. In case you 
wanted to know that. There's, know there's your pop-up video factoid. When I, when I stepped um, away, I don't know what you guys talked about, but like I was reading that the Iris um, title of the song is named after the country singer Iris Dument. And um, his thought, I guess, with that was just to pick something like like a title for the song in the way of like other artists did that have really nothing you know to do with the song oh you mean emma gone <laughs> yeah like that yeah definitely uh, i have another oh sorry finish no, go. i was gonna say uh another pop-up video fun fact so the producer rob cavello uh at the same time would have been working on the tarzan soundtrack with phil collins yeah. and Tim Pierce, who played like the guitar on You'll Be In My Heart. Tim Pierce is a studio guitarist primarily. Um, he played on, I mean, he's played on a ton of huge records, especially in the 90s. He did uh, um, I'd Do Anything For Love, I Won't Do That With Meatloaf, and just tons of stuff. But they brought him in to play the mandolin on the track. And because there's a mandolin, yeah. you know, again, talking about these sparse parts that come together to make a full arrangement. And um, then they said, well, we have this open section in the bridge, and he played the slide guitar solo on it, too. Oh, nice. So, um, so yeah, Tim Pierce, he's, he's kind of come to a t more pro prominent attention because of his YouTube channel. And he, he gives old anecdotes about recording, and there's, there's a really good episode about how his participation in this song came to be. Nice. So look that up. Yeah, I, mean, it, I think the thing that, I, that we both saw was, like, this is the, the most popular... One of the most popular songs to feature a mandolin. Yeah. <laughs> and then, like, as, when I was thinking about it, I was like, I don't know why I can't think of any... The only song that, like, readily pops into my brain that has mandolin in it that I have heard on a regular basis is Thanks for the Memories by Fall Out Boy. <laughs> and um, there, here's a pop-up video fact about that song. The mandolin in that song is played by uh, Babyface. Really? Uh, that like doesn't surprise the me. The R&B singer, Babyface. Yeah, he, he, he co-wrote or co-produced a couple songs a on lot the record, uh -huh. I believe. That yeah. I knew, but I didn't realize. Okay. Yeah. Huh. Hilarious. I always, I always loved that, like, that weird fact that, like, he played mandolin on that. And I was like, that is... But, yeah, I, I always, I love that. Now, speaking of other pop punk bands, this song was covered by Newfound Glory, which, as everybody that listens to this show knows, I love cover songs. I absolutely especially, love cover songs. Especially Newfound Glory. But Newfound Glory had this on from the Screen to Your Stereo Part 2, and um, I, I love the, the cover that they did for this song. I think it's great. Um, and they featured uh, Will Pugh from Cartel, on vocals for this song. I just think it, it adds... I, I, I think the way that they did the cover was very tasteful in the sense that like they didn't do anything over the top to detract away from the original song, but they put just enough of their own spin on it to make it theirs. That it still worked. Yeah. That, that's another one where talk about the weird guitar tunings. It's a very simple chord progression in the chorus, but the way that they manipulated the sound of the guitar, it, it sounds much fuller and, and just like more interesting so yeah when you have a band like newfound glory that uh is more like what i do in old neon right uh how, how do they approach tackling this to make the song continue to work but also work as a newfound glory song right um 
Was it this song that I read that's in 3-4? Uh, it's in 12-8, actually. So it's like, you, you, you feel four beats on give up. I don't want to try to describe it, but it's, it's twelve. so it's it's a derivative of three, four, but it's it's the way you feel both, you feel both the one, two, three, one, two, three, but, but you also feel the one, two, three, huh, sure. four. So you feel them both. Okay. Yeah, because I think I remember reading that it had the three, four in it, but I, I didn't... I didn't like navigate that in my brain as twelve eight. It's it's yeah. That, it's just the way you feel that it. That makes sense. No, I, I I totally get that. That's interesting. And I, I just think that overall the composition of the track is just the way it's put together is just is just really really cool. It's it's definitely a classic of the era. Absolutely. And I I, I know we've talked about soundtracks before. Like this is just something I really miss. Like these days. Yes. I mean, the soundtrack was huge. Sarah McLaughlin had a big hit on it. Alanis. Alanis Morissette, yeah. So, I mean, it was a big hit just outside. Again, probably the soundtrack might have even been more popular than the film, although mm -hmm. I do know the movie was a pretty big hit. Um, I remember seeing it now that we talked about it, but I don't remember like feeling great about the movie, but the soundtrack was like... Yeah, and I think that that's a, definitely um, like a lost art, for sure. I think oh, that, yeah. that the, the movie, the blockbuster movie soundtrack has definitely fallen apart mm. over the years. I feel like the late 90s, like for me at least, was the, the height of like of the great like sure. American Pie was out. I remember Empire Records was one of my favorite soundtracks of like the 90s. The Armageddon soundtrack was huge. a huge hit. Huge. Um, yeah. The Godzilla soundtrack with like Green Day on it. And that was like huge. P. Oh, Diddy, they had one on Twister too. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, they, the uh, Long, Long Way, Way Down. Down. Yeah. yeah, that's actually one of my favorite Goo Goo Dolls tracks. Oh, that that was I love oh, yeah. it's probably my favorite too. Yeah, absolutely. It's a good pop, punk rock yeah. song. It's it's amazing. I love that song. Um, the other one that I that I thought of was uh, the Crow. Had a great oh, soundtrack. Yeah. Um, I mean, yeah, the, it definitely the nineties, the nineties and into the early two thousands was definitely the best time for for movie soundtracks. And I, we've been talking for a long time about doing, like, a whole episode on just specifically movie soundtracks. So I think that that, that might not be too far off in the future yeah, here. Maybe, maybe we'll have <laughs> you come back on and we can talk about movie soundtracks. That'd be excellent. Um, so from, from that huge magnum opus on this, we get into uh, Extra Pale, which is another Robbie song. Um... This, I think, I think the end of this album, I hate to say this, I think it kind of gets lost. A little bit. I don't think it's bad. I just think that when you follow Iris, yeah. it's, it's really, hard really to tough to, to, like, finish the album. Mm -hmm. But, that being said, Extra Pale, um, kind of an interesting place track. Uh, we had to listen to it a few times to really get anything out of it. It's not a bad. It's it's just another one of those like it's not a bad song, but it's nothing over the top. I think it's there. It's there. <laughs> it extra paled in comparison to Iris to me. Fuck. Yeah, it, it's it's <laughs> it's just a very to me kind of like a, a post grunge alternative kind of late nineties. Again, talking about something that might have something like it might have shown up on like a Smashing Pumpkins record. It's sure. sound, it's it's more of that sound than you know, the rest of this record. Sure. Mm -hmm. And, I mean, it definitely, a lot of the, the stuff that I got out of it was somebody that that 
took enjoyment out of putting other people down. Um, but then as soon as the tables get turned on them, they don't like it. And it, it's upsetting to them. And you're like, you made your bed, lay in it. Like, that kind of vibe. Yeah, you're um, just another sequel, just another reason for your size. Just, like, another thing to be upset about. Here you go again. Like, that's kind of what I got out of it. Yeah. Um, but again, I mean, it, it's not a bad song. You know, I just think that it's it's tough to follow up such a big track like Iris. And listening, I mean, a lot of the tracks I wasn't familiar with because I listened to this before, but it's been years. Yeah. And I don't think that I, you know, give this much of a chance because of the placement. Sure. Unfortunately. That happens. Um, So then they round out the end of the album with uh, the track Hate This Place, and that was another uh, Resnick track. Um, and again, I think it took a couple listens to really get like a solid message out of it, but it feels like it's a song about infidelity. Like I definitely get like a, like a, you know that your spouse is cheating on you, but you want to try and make it work anyway kind of thing. But like, you know that in the end it's not going to, um, which I kind of think is ironic to the title, like, hate this place. Like, you're watching something that you love crumble around you, and you're like, I just fucking hate this place. Um, I, I think that it's it's a really... it's I think it's a good closer, it, honestly. It, I think it's a good way to close out the album. Yeah, just the way it sort of fades out, too. That's another thing I keep trying to bring back. The other guys in Old Neon are like, we're not doing that. I, I, wanna, <laughs> I want a fade-out song where you just continue playing the chorus, and it just gets quieter and quieter. Right. And uh, another another thing that the, we've lost, <laughs> I think Vox or someone did a video on why we don't do that anymore. Oh, we'll have to look that um, up, because we've but, talked about that. But, uh, but yeah, agree that coming after Iris, is it's tough to follow up, but I mean, I think just generally in terms of this is the last song on the record, it's a good one. Yeah, oh, absolutely. I mean, it, it, again, I, I don't think that it's anything like over the top, but I think it's... Good it's a good it. way to close it out. It, I, it, it, I think it too. It, it highlights a lot of the different sounds of the record. So you have kind of something like Dizzy, which is a little bit more rock of very much of its era, and then you have the more ballady songs like Black Balloon. And I feel like it it pulls in from both of those sounds. Yeah, absolutely. And, and you know, the the title doesn't. I don't think it shows up as a lyric at all. And I don't think so. I think it's one of those kind of songs that has a title that. But you hear that title, and then you you immediately think of something like Broadway, like the the lyrics from Broadway. So if you're listening in order, and you see, oh, this is the next thing, but it's it is like a different lyrical thing. Right. But but still, it's uh, I that's probably wasn't an accident that they you know let's use this other imagery we've already been working with. Right. No, I, I mean I think it's a good way to, like we were saying, to to wrap up a big album like this. Um, you know, and I, and I think that, like you were saying, I think it definitely bookends with Dizzy, um, like, energy-wise. Mm-hmm. I think it's a good way to kind of bookend beginning and end to the album. So, I, I mean, I think overall, I think this is a very well-put-together album. Um, I mean, it's it's no surprise that it's their biggest album, um, or the biggest album from that year. Uh, I, I, I enjoyed it. I, I enjoyed every, every listen through, um, um, if you had to, if you had to pick a favorite song, 
that's not Iris <laughs> on this album? What would you say? It's probably all eyes on me. It might that might be my favorite song on the record. Really? Regardless, yeah, I really like that. I like the arrangement. Um, I like hate this place a lot. I don't sure. think I like it as much as either of the other two. And then I like Black Balloon a lot. Sure. Yeah, say so Black Balloon next Broadway. Yeah, I, I think for me it's probably um, it's probably Broadway. I think is my favorite. Um, but yeah, I kind of I kind of dig All Eyes on Me though. I think I like the way it's just the way it's put together. Th- that's what this album is best at. And then when you listen to other things Rob Cavello's done, like the Black Parade, that that is so well put together. Oh, American okay. Idiot, so well put together. I yeah, mean, and so you can definitely see that coming out in here but um yeah like i uh, when we talked about doing this show it's like uh, what album would i want to talk about and like i wouldn't even say this is an absolute favorite of mine like it's not if you were to say what are your favorite records i wouldn't think of it but it's just like something where it's definitely something that has had an impact on me sure and and being 14 15 when i was first listening to it and like you know you're starting to understand some of the more adult themes in the record by the time you're in high school right so Lyrically, you have that. You had like kind of what it meant to me trying to learn how to play the guitar. Um, I'm still trying to do that, <laughs> but but um, me. <laughs> but you know, just even revisiting it, getting ready to talk to the two of you about it, it's been a lot of fun. My wife and I have been listening to a lot of their stuff. Sure. Um, Don't sleep on the Superstar Car Wash record. That was I think '93. Okay. So that was when they were first first turning to this sound from punk. Okay. Um, and the, the Falling Down was like their first song that got any radio traction and that's on that and there's definitely a straight line from that to this um, and then kind of yeah after Iris they became the movie soundtrack band for a little bit they were on uh, or maybe it was just Johnny Resnick had a song on Treasure Planet the Disney flop and they did the song uh, in the first Transformers film uh, yeah I, I until saw Until It's th- Too Late I think it's yeah the, it I saw that on there um yeah, I mean, whatever it is. Yeah, but I, I mean, I, I, I think that this was definitely the the album that cemented them as like a mainstay, as far as like you know radio played rock, for for that era is yeah. concerned. It is it is the quintessential tonally sounding record of that style. When you think about Matchbox Twenty and Vertical Horizon and the Gin Blossoms and these yeah. other bands similar that were at the time. I think this one stands above them all. Absolutely. I, I definitely agree. Um, so in, in saying that, um, you know, you're still learning a lot of things with the guitar and everything, <laughs> how long have you been playing? So I would have literally got it right before this record came out. I, I Well, I got my guitar for Christmas in 97. So, you know, I talk about kind of what makes Old Neon interesting. I've been playing the guitar longer than our singer Drew's been alive. <laughs> oh, man. That's that's pretty wild. But do you, do you uh, play anything else? Uh, I, growing up, I, I played the saxophone was my main instrument, and I played the trumpet and marching band. I haven't touched either of those in a long time, although I kind of would like to revisit the sax. And, and There was a point in time when I did okay on the piano, um, but I wouldn't say I play it. That's it. I'm calling it now. Next old neon record is going to be a ska record. Oh, my God. <laughs> we, oh, I... <laughs> I could go into our group chat and come up with all of our ska uh, band names and song titles that for some reason we decided to do while we were supposed to be at work the other day. <laughs> oh, we we have a whole list of, of... Yeah, we do a little segment called That's My New Band Name. Typically, <laughs> yeah. 
We haven't done it lately. Yeah, we haven't. What was the one that we had last night? There was one... Mm. I want to say you said Sex Loop would be your band name. <laughs> oh, yeah, Sex Loop. Yeah, because it was, it was something in an ad on Facebook. And About it said SFX, SFX Loop. loop but it, the way that it was written, it looked like it said Sex Loop. And I was <laughs> like, what in the world is that? Spooky yeah. Sex Loops is what it oh, said. Oh, yeah, Spooky Sex Loops. <laughs> yeah. I was like, well, that's an odd Oh, choice. wait, no, it was the, the Secret Garden Experience. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that was the one that I had There was earlier. some weird ad on, on Facebook about it. was like, parents, do you want to do you want to volunteer your children to be have our, their pictures taken in our Secret Garden Experience? And we were both like... No, that sounds yeah. Good. That sounds like it's gonna be like a Netflix <laughs> true crime show in about three months. And he's like, "Why does that sound like a Jimi Hendrix?" Uh... <laughs> so, but yeah. So, you've got your new album coming out in a month. Yes. Album release show not long after that. Yes. You got four chord coming up. Yeah. This this is like embarrassing. Like it's I can't believe we're this freaking lucky. But yes. It's awesome. No, I mean, it, I think it's fantastic. Um, and I, I mean, think, I can believe it because when we saw you perform the first time, when we oh yeah, when we went to see Spill Canvas, that was the first I was time like blown away. that we that we got to see you guys perform, and we were both like, "What? Damn! Wow!" And honestly, hearing that you've only been a band since like twenty twenty one or performing together since then, I just honestly don't believe it. Yeah, we there weren't especially like we were starting to get some shows, and like the band had played two or three before I joined. Okay. And then my first show, we played with um, a guy named Evan Yester on drums. Evan's a local drum dude. Uh, okay. He's a pro drummer. He teaches lessons. He he he's a, a hell of a drum engineer for recording, and he still does all of our recordings with us. Oh, cool. Um, but uh, we met Zach right about that week, and uh, we had a show the next week that Zach played with us. So that was the first one, and then you think that was really when kind of the last big wave of COVID hit. So like there were really no shows again for another couple of months. And sure. We just did a bunch of live stream stuff in my basement, like just trying to get any kind of content out there, you know, any kind of way we could engage with someone who might be interested. And that was really good. Cause it just kind of forced us to <clears throat> keep working at it and, and tightening it up. And, and, sure. um, yeah, we, we, we've just been really fortunate. Some of the stuff people have asked us to do, some of the promoters and other bands around the city. We have a couple other cool things that coming soon. I can't tease it too much <laughs> yet. But uh, a couple other shows that we'll, we'll announce over the next couple of weeks for later in the summer and the fall and stuff that are things that we're excited about. So, I mean, I, I couldn't be more thrilled. I, I love these guys. Um, we have a hell of a lot of fun on stage together, and uh, I'm really it, proud of the songs we've made. It shows, honestly. Well, yeah, it I think that was that one of the guys... things I said. The energy that you guys have together is just like super engaging the whole time. Well, yeah. it, it's it's interesting too because I mean I don't think other than our drummer Zach, I don't think any of us would say pop punk is our absolute favorite music. Maybe I would, but I don't think anyone else would. I mean, we we. If if we if you asked us to cover a record, like we would never agree to it. We would be broken up before we could agree <laughs> to, to, to learn ten songs to play. Um, but that's part of I think. I mean, it's we make it a strength that everyone does bring different things. And uh, and Chris plays ska bass in the song highlights because he likes less than Jake, and he's like, oh, I just kind of feel it this way, and it's different, right? And and a um, couple of things that I'll. I'll share them with you after with podcasts from Ooh. the new record uh you know I, we're kind of leaning into some of that 
more 80s sounding stuff that real studio polish thing that seaway does a lot okay um you know that that's me i don't, I don't say leaning into it that's me kicking and you know dragging the other guys kicking and screaming into uh you know the crap i like but um uh, just uh really excited uh really fortunate for all of our friends that have helped us out and real appreciative of, of someone like the two of you to give us a platform to talk about our stuff so thank you thank you so much for having me on thanks well, for, thanks being, for being here um and I, I think now you've said that much. Now is a good time for you to plug away. Where where can we find old neon music everywhere? We're on. I'm going to steal my buddy's find Ethel's bit. We're on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, Carfax, Christian Mingle. We're everywhere. <laughs> but uh, yeah, so you can find us on Instagram. Is probably where the, we're the most active. We do need more Twitter followers though, so you can follow us there too. Um, and, uh, yeah, we, we try to put out new music often. Like I said, uh, we have the, the full length album on June 23rd. Can't fucking wait the CD release party at club cafe tickets are cheap, 10 bucks. We just want to yeah. kind of pack the place and make sure everyone has a good time that night, uh, with our buddies over the weather and go for the gold over the weather. We're really the first kind of local band that kind of gave us the time of day and helped us get on a few decent local shows and stuff and, and get a crowd in front of us and nice. we couldn't be more appreciative of that and the guys in go for the gold are all scene veterans um from tons of of really good local bands linus the eventide loretta lookout loretta mm -hmm. um a scene like rhetoric so the the and, and eric there uh, plays with anti-flag a lot now too so oh, wow so i, I mean they, they they're another just the the talent in that band is off the charts and couldn't be more excited and then obviously the the four chord festival is uh it's it's the day of my wedding anniversary so uh m my wife who couldn't be more supportive of all this crap uh is just thought that was the perfect anniversary gift for Aww. the two of us so honestly that 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 is that sounds about right i feel like if there was any any way to really like <laughs> encompass that kind of thing it's by celebrating such a big event for you guys yeah and, and uh she, she like i said she couldn't be more supportive and uh, i mean i begged her for years to start a musical project with me because she's 10 times more naturally talented at it than i am and she can play the guitar a little bit and she plays the bass pretty well for not ever practicing it and she sings great and i would say start something with me and she would say well i'm not that great a singer and it's like well you're not adele or Lady Gaga, but like I've been in local bands. You are in the top quartile, and uh, she she did. She she's in a hard rock kind of like a like a post grunge band called For Those in Question, and uh, they're getting ready to release some music. So I mean, I couldn't be more proud of her and excited for her too. We'll have to watch for that then too. Yep, absolutely, yeah. So if you could pick one track for anyone that hasn't heard your band, what would you suggest? Probably, I mean, right now, I, w I, w I would tell you to listen to uh, What Do You Love. That's one of the last singles we put out. And that one, it's just the feel-good summer song. It's, 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 it's a more positive message about just kind of uh, digging down, thinking about what is, what, is, what is important to you in life. Live for that. Do that well. Uh, so that, that's a good one. And then um, you know, I, I would have to give you three answers. Uh, Highlights has been the one that's done the best for us. Um, that was the first one that I was any part of the conception of. So some of the others had, that I learned had been written before me. And um, that one is it's just a lot of fun to play live. And uh, Warmer Weather is, is kind of uh, 
in some ways like it's the one we usually close with and it's it's just that song that's fun to sing along and um uh, we we just took that one down off of spotify there'll be a fresh cut of it re-recorded version of it on the record so oh nice um but yeah i mean they're, they're, those are all kind of written by us differently and, and things like that um i'm personally a fan of jumpstart it like haunted my brain for a while <laughs> jumpstart was a song that my first band my first kind of serious band thought deposit used to play that josh used to come okay. see uh, not josh the host here our friend josh from lookout loretta yeah but um we never we got the chorus right but we never got the rest of it right so i just kind of held on to that richie from eternal boy would actually talk over the years about how he liked that hook mm-hmm. and that's the reason i brought that back so i was like so that was one of yours yeah oh that, awesome neat well it's about that time uh i guess we will plug now yeah um you know, we're all over social media, uh, at SIMHpod. Um, you can find us anywhere you listen to music. Uh, we are on the Apple one. Uh, iTunes, Apple Music, whatever the hell it's called now. LimeWire, BearShare. Yeah, uh, Napster. If you want to look <laughs> us up on Napster, I bet probably you can if find you're in the 1999 yeah for sure um and and it, it's it's secretly like a, a song that's not by metallica but it's just labeled that way for oh some God. reason yeah absolutely um yeah so we're on apple music amazon music uh spotify soundcloud if you're nasty um and don't forget to go check out uh w energy um for you know our sponsor for this show um you can use our promo code simh10 to save 10 percent on your order uh, just check them out you know they're a cool little energy drink company that makes uh energy powders you can shake up at home i enjoyed it i think you enjoyed it yeah. um you should try it <laughs> um, if you're local come and check out old neon because i'm gonna yeah. try to go to the Show on the 30th. Yeah. 30th? Yeah, definitely. 30th. The 30th. Yeah. Yep. If you guys are local, go check out Can't Old Neon. Wait. <laughs> June the 30th. Thank you guys so much for listening. We'll talk to you soon. We love you. Uh, be nice to each other. Wash your fucking hands. You nasties. Mm-hmm.